We have a question for you. Do you ever feel like your lowest paying clients are sucking the energy out of you? If you immediately nodded your head up and down emphatically, we see you. Okay, we don't see you see you, but we absolutely feel your pain. What if we told you that the squeaky wheel no longer has to get the most oil and that you could put boundaries in place that make sure that your clients valued your time? And by value, we mean money. We want to tell you what we mean at our Creating a Service Suite for Success free workshop. During this one-hour masterclass, we are going to show you how diversifying your service options can empower your clients to feel in control while you achieve boundaries in your business. And here's how it's going to work. During this 60-minute masterclass, you will learn what a service suite is and how it can be integrated into your business, create a list of upsell opportunities that allows your clients to feel more in control of their investment and you more in control of your workload, and learn where to start establishing your fee structure so that you know you are being compensated appropriately for your business. It's all taking place March 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern, and you cannot afford to miss it, quite literally. Snag your seat through the link in the show notes. We cannot wait to see you there. This episode is one that I have been so excited about recording. While guests are typically from within the industry, sometimes we like to infuse our content with a little external perspective. And today is one of those times. I am joined by Amber Frankhusen, the founder of AF Marketing and the host of Old Money Podcast. Amber's tagline for the show is Old Money. It's the podcast for women who want to build the trust funds that they wish they were born with. And I absolutely love that. What attracted me originally to her podcast was that one, Amber has a keen sense of brand awareness, which is obvious from her own company. And just to be clear, she believes in niching down. She focuses on real estate, yachts, and other luxury goods brands. Amber also dissects what luxury means in her Old Money podcast. From managing money to creating a personal network of friends, selecting the right attire, and so much more. Since so many travel advisors do focus on the luxury sector, we wanted to talk about the intangibles that go along with selling to high net worth individuals. Today, we are going to do exactly that. We are going to dissect the language of luxury as well as how to speak it. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat, and join us to talk all things travel and business. Welcome, Amber. Oh my goodness. That was so lovely. Jennifer, I'm so happy to be on this call with you. Like the way I've been thinking, dreaming, brainstorming about this conversation for weeks on end. And finally, we're going to talk for probably eight hours about luxury because <laughs> we're both obsessed. We're both obsessed. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We're so happy to have you. And I genuinely cannot wait to dive in. But before we do, can you share a bit on your background as well as how you found yourself focusing on the luxury market? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me start where we are today. I am the yeah. founder of AF Marketing, which is, as you mentioned, a luxury creative agency. We'll get into what that means. But 
We focus on branding, web, social media strategy for luxury brands. And as you mentioned, real estate development is one of our focuses. That's what I did prior to starting the agency. So I was involved in a private firm here in San Diego, doing everything from acquisition of land through development, entitlement, construction, and sellout as the vice president of sales and marketing at the end of my tenure there. And that was all luxury all day. I'm talking, we were building like 10,000 square foot homes overlooking the ocean in La Jolla or $20 million homes on the bluffs of Del Mar. And so you're talking about like a thousand to $3,000 a square foot. And so we're talking the highest end finishes, construction, detail and buyers. So Mm -hmm. through that journey, I mean, it was such, honestly, it was a high pressure environment. And for me, I was in that role at a very young age. And so I got totally burned out. And that's not an uncommon story for high achievers, right? And I was lucky enough to fall into personal development to find my path and really owning that like, I love to play business. I, I love to make money. And I recognize that so many women, so many of my friends felt so disempowered about money or even about getting you know personal development or going to therapy, things like that. So I've become over the past many years on parallel with building this agency is just building my life and my net worth. And that's what led me to start Old Money. So Old Money is like you mentioned, personal development, personal finance, living well. And one of my biggest things is realizing how much our emotions inform our decisions about money. And so the podcast has opened this door to this community and conversation about how do we make it, keep it, grow it, build it, and not sacrifice. Like, you know, I don't want to be just saving every penny I make and never enjoying it. I love to go on beautiful vacations. What does it mean to live well? And then how can I live a life of luxury? So the podcast and the agency kind of go hand in hand in my study and obsession with the luxury market with ultra high net worth consumers. And I'm just obsessed with it all. So, I mean, let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. So what I do love about your approach is not about, you're not just talking about how to spend the money that you're talking about creating. You're talking about keeping it where it matters and being very intentional about where you're investing. And that's ultimately where luxury, I think, comes into play. I was thinking in preparation for this podcast, and I'm like, you know, there's such a difference between being rich and being luxury. Like I think of, (laughs) this is such a bizarre comparison, but I think of Adam Sandler, like the man is so wealthy, he is rich, but he is not looking luxury. He is not walking around looking luxury. That's not to say you don't want Adam Sandler as a client. I'm sure he's a hysterical client to have. But the topic that we're going to talk about today is really like fine-tuning your approach so that you are speaking to your target audience if that target market is in the luxury sector. Absolutely. I would love your perspective of what you define as luxury. And you can describe this in the context of different industries fashion, real estate, hospitality, because really they do have a lot of parallels and overlap with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, luxury has so many definitions and what's been so impactful for me, right? Working with these buyers who are showing up to buy a $10 million house with a cashier's check and I'm handing them keys, like how do they live? What are they doing? And, you know, experiencing better hotels and better flight experiences and, you know, buying better clothes for goodness sakes, like all of these ways in my life, as I've gone through my journey, I've gotten to experience luxury because it really is in some ways an intangible. 
It can mean excellence. It could be a cultural idea of what we all agree to be a status symbol. And something that I talk about a lot, Jennifer, and I love your example of Adam Sandler, it's like we've all as a society, well, most of us anyway, have agreed that Bitcoin has value. But is Bitcoin luxury? No, it's not. (laughs) But you know what you can get for the same amount as one Bitcoin, like $46,000 or whatever it might be? It's, you know, you could buy a Hermes ostrich Birkin and that we've culturally agreed is luxury. So it's interesting, right? Like there's a lot of different interpretations, but essentially when we say we serve luxury businesses, what does that mean? Because in marketing and positioning and branding, if you're a travel advisor, if you're a branding firm, it's like, who is your end user? And we serve clients or businesses whose end users are either ultra high net worth or high net worth individuals. So Mm -hmm. can we break that down? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Ultra high net worth individuals. So you might say it as UHNW. I'm not very good at acronyms. UHNW, ultra high net worth. That's somebody who has more than $30 million in assets. A high net worth individual is somebody who has $1 million in liquid assets. So that's not equity in a home. That's liquid assets, investable assets. So obviously that's a very large range, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about luxury, in my opinion, across all sectors, fashion, travel, real estate, the difference is really in that human element, the desire to make each customer or guest or client feel cherished and valued. And they have something that's so unique and and premium, right? Because what it boils down to for a luxury product or service, it's not just something that's fancy. It's something that somebody is going to pay a premium for because it serves a need for them. And usually that need is psychological. So in fashion, for example, luxury might be defined by like the quality of the craftsmanship or the materials, like a couture gown, for example, or something that's handmade. In real estate, luxury real estate actually has a very specific definition, which is the top five to 10% of properties on the local market. So that's what luxury real estate means. Okay. Yeah. I would love a finite definition for travel because there are there is so much ambiguity between like what people are defining as luxury travel versus ultra luxury travel. And I yes, it would be really advantageous because then we can even say what's not luxury and allow every advisor. And we talked about this before we started recording. We'll get into this more. But like, yeah, not every advisor is necessarily catering to the luxury market. And that's so okay. Uh-huh. But your copy, your marketing, how you speak, how you interact has to mimic what your target audience is looking for. A hundred percent. And you got to remember what your target audience has exposure to. So there's a whole idea in finance about fat fire. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. Fire stands for financially independent, retire early. And that is a whole concept in personal finance right now people that are working at super high pressure tech jobs and they're looking to get the biggest you know, net worth as soon as possible so they can be financially independent and retire early. And there's different levels of fire. There's fat fire, which means after I retire, my expectation is that I'm going to live a big ass life. I'm going to still go luxury. I'm still going to go big. There's also, I think it's called slim fire, where you're going to financially be financially independent, retire early. But then after you retire, you're going to live on peanuts. And there's this middle category called chubby fire. So it's not necessarily fat. It's not necessarily skinny. You're chubby, right? And so I fi- I'm i a huge Reddit fan. I get so much great information on Reddit. And travel advisors, if you're not on Reddit for everything travel, like it's such a good community. There is a community called chubby fire travel. 
And the way that they define chubby travel is that on average, the type of price point that they're spending is about $750 per night per room, mm-hmm. averaged out over the year. Fat travel, fat, I think it's called fat fire travel. There's another subreddit. They're looking at 2000 plus per night. So the difference in rooms are obviously going to fluctuate during high seasons and low seasons, but that's kind of the average that they're looking at. But at the end of the day, in hospitality, it's like not just the room price, right? It's the components that make a luxury experience, like the service, where your needs are anticipated before you even know you have them. You know what it's like to go to like a five-star resort and everybody's catering to you. If you're going to be a luxury travel advisor, you have to have the same philosophy. You need to anticipate your customers' needs before they have it. The other thing is that luxury travel is usually dictated by, I mean, econ 101, right? Supply and demand, limited inventory. So fewer rooms, things that are harder to get to, less supply is going to drive up price, right? Like there's only so many overwater bungalows in, I don't know, Fiji or whatever, right? There's only so many. That's what makes it so exclusive. The seclusion, And then also just that invisible hospitality, like everything runs smoothly behind the scenes and the customer never sees it so that when they show up to interact with your brand, interact with your hotel or whatever, it's all gravy. Like it's all good. Every person's a VIP. So I think what's so interesting, Jennifer, about what you help your clients do is like getting that customer process in place, the systems that run behind the scenes so that when your customers come to interact with you and they want to book a trip, You're not like, oh, shoot, let me send an email and it's all flustered and there's no follow-up and you need to have a process in place to take care of your customer. I love that. And there are so many points that I'm going to kind of draw out a little bit. So the first one being that I agree with you that luxury is completely subjective. To me, there are kind of like multiple buckets of luxury. One is the person that wants the status luxury, right? They want to identify with the brand. They want that elevated association. And that doesn't necessarily even mean that that person may be luxury because they may have splurged or overextended themselves to get that good or to get that label, whatever it is. To me, how I think about luxury in the travel sector is like the ability to pay and secure custom experiences that do speak to that psychological side that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So for example, I think of if you're going to Italy, instead of just taking someone to the Ferragamo store, having a curated experience where they get to customize some kind of good and get a stamp with their initials on it and be a part of the process and peel back the curtain if that speaks to their love language, right? Like maybe, maybe that's not even attractive to them. Maybe someone's luxury experience is time and they Mm -hmm. just want to do nothing and they want to sit by the pool with a bougie glass of wine and they want to enjoy their time and they don't want to be interrupted And they don't want to be at a property that has a lot of kids or whatnot. Like everyone's definition of luxury is so different. I think the common thread is convenience and ease. Yeah. That's ultimately like when you have a luxury experience, there's no friction, right? Someone is foreseeing your needs. So like a client experience, like we were talking about, when someone gets a booking confirmation of our client experience templates, It says, here's what you can expect so that that person doesn't think they need to email you in a month and be like, hey, wait, what's going on? Right. There's zero friction in the client experience because you're forecasting their needs and you're kind of like leading them down this red carpet. 
I love that. I love the term friction. We talk about that a lot, especially as you design a website or on social media. Like how many clicks are you making it for people to navigate through your website? Like I always say more clicks, more time. The fact that you just said that like speaks to my soul. Hundred, hundred percent. And I love Jennifer what you said too about the specialness. And I'm going to botch this story, but it's something I just learned about recently. Have you heard about this like hot dog story? There's a book about a Michelin star restaurant and hot dog. Can I just botch go for it and pop? Okay. So there's a whole book about this. I have not yet read it. I've just I learned this on TikTok, and then I talked to one of my clients about it who has read the book. So the story goes that there was a group of uh, foodies that were traveling in New York. There's four of them. They were at a dinner. And it was the end of their trip. And they're sitting there, the four of them, and they're discussing all of the amazing food they had. And they were just on a food trip. And the maitre d' overheard them say, we had such an incredible time. But the one thing we didn't get to do was eat a New York City hot dog. So this guy took it upon himself to run out into the street, buy hot dogs from a vendor, bring them back into his kitchen, plate them and serve them to the customer so that they said, we got everything we wanted. That's the experience. What a special experience, something so unexpected. And like, how dare you serve a hot dog at a Michelin star restaurant? No, it's like, serve the hot dog, find the thing that's not an expensive thing to do for your customer, but it shows that you've listened, you're making the experience for them. And it made it just a legend in customer service. I think I'm reading that book right now. It's Shut called un- Unreasonable Hospitality. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I said yes. it to my business partner and I was like, you have to listen to this. It is about a Michelin star restaurant that essentially like there are no bounds. And they landed as 50 on the list of the top 50 restaurants. And they expected to like be in the top 30. And they were so disappointed that they were at 50 that they were like, okay, to break the mold, we have to break the mold. Like we have to do something completely different. And Robin and I say, we're always going to do this podcast that's like business ideas or business models that are so crazy that they just might work because you don't have to do what the person next to you is doing. Like, right. You can take the concept of the industry and you can flip it on its head in your own way because that is going to come off more organic and natural anyway, if it feels comfortable to you. Yeah. Anyway, I love that. That's such a weird coincidence. I think that one of the things like the takeaway from us from having that conversation is we implemented a surprise and delight budget for each of our clients where we have a certain amount of money per quarter that we can do to surprise and delight our clients, like make a really special experience for them. It's like a custom gift, a custom thing. Like, you know, when somebody hit or one of our clients just hit 600,000 followers on Instagram. So we sent her 600,000K balloons, right? Like we can make that happen for her. So I think that's a great thing that feels like people are thinking, how am I going to find a hot dog for my client? Like there's ways that you can still surprise and delight your clients. So they have an amazing, memorable experience that you facilitated. I love that. Like that takeaway, the mantra for this is find the hot dog, right? hundred. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the psychology behind luxury purchases because it is not just about saying, hey, you want this thing. There's so much more to appealing to someone that compels them to actually make the decision to purchase. We can want for a lot of things. I want a lot of things. But there are certain triggers psychologically that are actually going to make me convert to a customer. So what do you see as those triggers and what is the psychology behind a sale of a luxury good to you? 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, my one of my regrets is that I didn't major in psychology because I think it's the most helpful thing in business. Honestly, I was a psychology major for one semester and then they're like, you're going to have to go to grad school. And I was like, yeah. switch back, like, no thanks, too much work. But it's been a passion of mine and I love studying it. There's so many great books on this. And what I've kind of extrapolated from everything that I've learned for our team, like what we talk about internally, is that there are three main drivers of luxury purchases. Have you ever wished that you knew exactly what you should be charging for a planning fee? Not subjectively, but objectively knowing what your business needs to make it all work. Do you wish that you were taking home a consistent and forecastable paycheck? Do you feel like your sales pitch just kind of fell together but was never really curated intentionally? If so, you're not alone. In fact, we'd argue that you're probably in the majority. And we feel that way because we've been there. And we had the same questions and wishes until we did something about it. We created spreadsheets that calculated our expenses, converted that overhead number into a goal, and in turn told us what we needed to earn in order to make our income dreams come true. We also felt like every sales workshop in the industry had a lot of hype and very few immediate action items. So we did something about that too. We created our signature program, Seven Figure Sales, Seven Figure Sales is being re-released for one week only. Mark your calendar for March 6th through 13th so that you can grab the opportunity to get this multi-module program that can help you master your approach to financial goals and sales. To kick off the release, we are offering a Creating a Service Suite for Success free workshop on March 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern. This training will have your mind reeling. We'll also give you a sneak peek as to what is inside our Seven Figure Sales program. The link to register for our free workshop is in the show notes. This is all rooted in like evolutionary psychology and it also ties into branding. Like you just mentioned, Jennifer, there are shortcuts or heuristics that we have in our brain about shapes, colors, fonts, style that make us think certain things. They trigger us into making judgments or taking shortcuts in our brain to make a judgment about a brand. And we could talk about that too. But as it relates to purchasing, the three things that I really focus on, number one is tribalism. We all want to be a part of a community. So that either means buying something to be a part of the community of people who already have the thing. You know, you saw Jennifer Aniston on the morning show wearing her Chopard watch and carrying a sling bag. Like I admire her character. I want to be associated with her. Yeah. I want to associate with her in some way. Exactly. So that's part of like becoming part of this community. And it's one of the reasons why I think influencer marketing works so well, because, you know, we're watching these people on our phones and we feel so close to them. I mean, we're taking a, you know what, on the toilet, watching these people sell us stuff. And we're like, oh, wow, if they use that product and that's their life, that if I buy that, that will reflect on me. It, it signals also to yourself that you're aligned with them, but also to other people that you're part of a special tribe. And we see these trends come and go, especially like in jewelry. Like, you know, back when I was in high school, everybody had a Tiffany charm bracelet. Now every girl has, you know, in in high school has like a Cartier love bracelet. And they we're seeing Van Cleef and these- I was going to say Van Cleef is like popping right now. Yeah, like all of these different tribes to show that you're part of this special 
you know, I get it. I'm, I'm in here. I, ha- I have it. Right. And that's the second thing, which it leads into golden goose, golden goose. Yes. Like, perfect example of that. I feel like when I was in college, it was true religion genes, right? It's like these trends move and you're just trying to signal, like, I have something in common with you. I have something mm-hmm. in common with the people that I admire. And the second thing, the second big evolutionary psychology thing is that status in social signaling because, you know, by carrying the purse or driving the car, you're signaling your level of success, i.e. your alphaness within that tribe. So more that you can afford or the more that you purchase, because maybe you can't afford it, you just purchase it. You're trying to be the alpha in the tribe and the pack. It's the attitude, you know, think about lions and Serengeti, right? It's like the size, how he lays on the top of the rock. Everybody lays beneath him. And it's this hyper-competitive world where people are trying to signal to others their worth. So it's like, how does it feel to be the person at the top of the alpha, whether that's real or imagined? It's very powerful. It's a very powerful driver. The thing about that too in travel is like all about what you can get on your Instagram feed. Yes. Which is frustrating from our perspective because- There's a lot that goes into this. Like I could probably go on a 30-minute diatribe about it. But Mm -hmm. like all of these hotels that are paying influencers to go there, they're not travel agent friendly. And they're surely not like what we call lead-in category client friendly. Like they actually are not going to give you typically the same experience unless you're the influencer, right? Like they're going to front load all of that experience on their client that is not even a paying client. And a lot of influencers even if they are a paying client, they're going there to get the TikTok. I don't even, I'm not even on TikTok. That's embarrassing yeah. to say. What is it? Likes? Is it watching? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get, get the views, get the likes. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're staying for one night and then they're moving along. So they're making yep. other people feel like they're missing out. This FOMO, like you just mentioned, this like tribal instinct, they're making mm-hmm. other people feel like they're missing out if they don't do the thing, but they're actually not even doing the thing, which exactly. I find completely ironic. And that's when you get into like, dupes and Mm -hmm. this whole world of like kind of emanating a luxury life, which that could be a whole podcast too. But (laughs) you, I personally think you're better off finding something completely original rather than like finding a dupe because something original, someone can't identify and they're not going to say like, that's a lesser item. They're just going to think that's cool. It's not trying to be something else, but that's a total deviation. So, okay. I mean, but it is, but it isn't because these all overlap because the last thing that I think really drives luxury purchases is internal self-esteem or like what people do to buy, to make themselves feel more confident or to reward themselves. Like, oh, I earned my bonus. So I'm going to treat myself and it's going to give me the confidence. Like it's reflective of my identity and my opinion of myself. Mm -hmm. So when you kind of combine these things and you look at the tribalism, like I'm a part of this cool group that gets to go to this very exclusive place, the signaling to to others, like look at me on Instagram, I'm doing the things. And then the self-esteem that it brings you, oh, I am special. I got to do this thing. All three of these overlap, but they're all drivers that are typically unconscious. And that's the big thing. People are usually not consciously being like, I'm going to buy these Tom Ford sunglasses because it's going to make me feel better about myself. They're just acting on emotion. And I think that's the big thing in personal finance too, as we bring it back to ourselves. Like, why am I craving a luxury purse? Like, why do I want a Birkin? I don't know. I just want it. Culture has embedded it in me that I should have a Birkin bag, right? So these emotions and desires, they're really important to be aware of both from a personal perspective, but also from your consumer's perspective. 
there are a lot of things that I think parallel. I know we're going down kind of like a luxury attire path here, but when it comes to travel, to me, it's very much the same way. You can't cut the corners to get the same feeling that you're seeking. Every time I have cut corners to try and get the experience that I'm looking for, like doing a group transfer instead of a private transfer or staying at a three-star hotel instead of spending, I don't want to say just a little bit more because especially this year, it's astronomically more, but doing a shorter trip and investing the money on a better experience. I've always been still longing for that more premium experience at the end of my trip. Like I didn't achieve the goal if I cut the corners in the end anyway. And I think that's something that is a powerful sales tactic to remember when talking to your clients in travel is what is the goal? Do you want to walk away feeling like you had this luxury experience and cared for, or are you sightseeing and you just want to get a functional trip done? Because those are how you execute those for your clients are two very different ways. And almost how you speak to those clients are very different. 100%. There's so many parallels too. I mean, you could talk about, are you giving like an express blazer or are you producing a Veronica beard blazer that's going to be in your closet for 15 years versus what you have to throw out next season type of a thing. And what that takes is not just, it's more expensive, it's better quality materials, it's better structure, it's better everything about the craftsmanship, about the experience of that blazer is completely different. And one of the things I talk about a lot, we talk about this in design, luxury design, which I know we can get into, but it's like when you walk into a luxury store like a Gucci, every purse has its own shelf and its own light and breathing room around it. And they're all displayed perfectly by themselves. You go into a Nordstrom rack and like, good luck finding your jeans on a size girl. You're like chaos. Yeah. Going through all of those things. So what is the experience for your customer? And then also what's the experience for yourself? Like if you're shopping, Mm -hmm. as you, as you put as a good example, like, oh, it is so easy to click and buy on Amazon, but you know, it's not, there's no soul there. There's no experience there. And how can you increase the ROI of the things that you invest in so that they always feel good. That's why I'm a big believer in nice pajamas because I want to feel good when I go to bed and I don't want them to be ratty. You know, it's an experience every time I get in bed. I mentioned I was going to bring up this conference because I think that it's really important. I mean, there are plenty of conferences in the travel space. One in particular that jumps out at me that focuses on the luxury market is called ILTM. It's in Cannes, France, which is just like fitting in itself. Every night there are parties, cocktails, It feels like, I don't want to say it is because there are a lot of people that have not gone that are fabulous travel advisors, but it feels like this kind of like who's who as you're going Mm -hmm. through it. I kind of want to dive into this because Mm -hmm. I do think, and this is the topic is like, I do think you have to talk the talk and walk the walk. I don't think that you have to stress yourself out and be someone different to be able to sell to a luxury audience. So how do you remain authentic, but still maybe shift your target audience to a luxury sector if that's what you're seeking to do in your business? Because I never wanted to feel, I never want anyone to feel out of place. First of all, I would have people come to me and they're like, I don't think I can afford your kind of travel, but do you do this? And I'm like, okay, that's an ick feeling, right? Like I never want someone who I love and grew up with in my hometown to feel like they think that I think their trip is not a worthy investment because I genuinely believe that whether you have $3,000, $30,000 or $300,000, 
you are sacrificing something to make that trip a reality. You're taking Mm -hmm. an opportunity for a date night off the table. You are not putting it towards your investments. You're not doing something in order Mm -hmm. to make that trip a reality. So how do you get into the luxury space without feeling like you're personally blowing the budget to buy the labels to fit in or yeah. you're putting, you feel like you're putting on like a suit to fit in. You know what I mean? I totally do because I relate to this deeply. We have clients in the yachting sector. So I'm at the yacht shows in Barcelona, in Miami, been to Monaco, like the most intimidating things because people that are buying yachts, this is 15 million, 50 million of disposable income that they have to burn. Okay. Like these people are in a, in a different a different level. And I've had plenty of like foot and mouth moments and silly things. Like one of my, I always talk about this, but one of my most embarrassing moments was just touring a yacht in Barcelona. It was at a broker's conference and it was this gorgeous yacht. And in the salon, they had all of these narwhal tusks. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Those are made up from like the movie Elf. Like, you know, that's so cute. And I'm like saying this in front of all these brokers and they're like, are you for real? Like a narwhal is a real thing. And I was like, no, (laughs) it's like a unicorn. I did not know that narwhals were real animals, Jennifer. And I just was like, you know, trying to make conversation and like, listen, I'm a big non-believer, I should say, in faking it till you make it. Don't fake it. Do not fake it. First of all, I get on the wardrobe and everything, go in an all, like, first of all, neutrals and just monochrome, like all black, all white, all tan, mm-hmm. just that that looks expensive. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're not there to look a certain way, but there, you're there to be honest about where you're at. It's just be authentic with who you are. Ask questions, be curious, be thoughtful. And the best thing that I could say is like, go with a mentor, find somebody that you can go with who can kind of show you the ropes and introduce you because thinking that you're going to come in and, you know, move mountains and take over, it's this very like hyper-competitive dynamic. We get into these groups of people and all of a sudden there is this hierarchy, right? And it's like, where do I fit in? And it's okay to not be a power player. It's okay to be curious. It's okay to be who you are and be authentic with where you're at in that level of luxury, asking the questions, you know, being prepared because there's somebody out there that needs you to be at that level. There is a customer out there that needs you to know that level of luxury to help them get there, right? Not every one of your clients is going to have a $50,000 travel budget. There's going to be clients out there that have a $5,000 or $10,000. You can still give them a luxury experience there. So don't try to just only go for like the big dogs and you're only booking people at the fanciest of hotels and wherever it might be. There is a market there for you. When you can be authentic with where you're at, your customer will show up for you. Just go learn. I love that you said ask questions because I am a firm believer that everyone's favorite subject is themselves. Okay. So when in doubt, ask questions about them. Like do some research on the people that you want to make an impression on Mm -hmm. and don't make it about proving yourself because it's never going to work, right? Like yeah. if if they are a true power player in the space and they are for whatever, however you want to define it, you feel like an alpha in the position, mm-hmm. there's nothing you're going to do to out alpha someone who no. has statistically placed themselves in that category. And I'm not talking subjectively. I'm saying statistically, if someone is an incredibly high producer, they're great at their role, they've been in the industry 
five more years than you, like statistically, they are ahead Mm -hmm. of the game. It is okay to learn from someone. Mm -hmm. It's okay to relate to someone. But I love that you said ask questions because that's how you become a power player is because you take on lessons from the people that have paved the way before you. It also doesn't mean you have to take on their philosophies of everything. I'm like grain of salt. If it doesn't serve you, throw it away, right? Like if that's not how you feel, maybe you have a very different approach to business. Maybe you're majorly into sustainability and they're just not like, that's not how they run their business. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I'm saying that your philosophies don't have to align, but we can always learn something from each other. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate that you said kind of like foot in mouth moments because I I can take myself back and I was having a meeting and I said something that completely didn't make sense. And she like repeated it and looked at me slowly. And I was like, (laughs) I I just want to leave now. (laughs) It's not what I really wanted to impress, you know? And I was like, yeah, just stop. Just stop trying to play the game. It's not a game. Show up authentically, be curious and be there for the purpose that you're there for. The other thing you said that I absolutely loved is like, the people that are at the conference need you to not know about their product or their business, yeah. right? Like that's actually the whole point. They right. need to be educating someone on how to sell what they have to offer. So you don't need to prove that you have 15 clients there already. They're going to be like, cool, then I don't need to talk to you. I'm going to move along to the next person. Yeah. I need to talk to the people that don't know about my product. So I, I think that's really important to remember is you don't have to, I don't want to say showboat because that sounds like very like big for your britches, but right. you don't have to throw your weight around in these situations. You can come to the table just as you are. And last thing I'm going to say on this, and then we're going to go to another question. I read this when I was 12 years old. I swear it was how to dress like a millionaire. It was like in better homes and gardens or something. Obsessed. Okay. And it was exactly what you just said. It was like neutrals, when in doubt, black and neutrals and unripped jeans. Like, you mm-hmm. know, ripped jeans are the cool thing, but that doesn't mean they like look luxury necessarily. They might look cool right. and trendy, but not all trends are luxury. So I, my entire closet, I'm pretty sure I like threw out every pop of color I had. I was like, I am going to look like I'm just- <laughs> For the rest of my life. But it has made packing very easy because everything is olive, cream, white, and black, and everything goes with everything else. So I don't know if you're a Real Housewives fan, but my like yacht show philosophy, my packing philosophy, my wardrobe philosophy is Yolanda Hadid from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on the seasons because she was always in a monochrome. Even if it was all orange, it just looks very chic and it's clean and it's easy. So easy. Let's talk about why high-end clients are a unique demographic. What makes them unique as consumers? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously their budgets, but more specifically, I think they just have different needs. You know, they are exposed to a lot of, you know, let's talk about like an ultra high net worth client, for example, mm-hmm. or high net worth client either. They're, they've gone on good trips. They drive nice cars. Their home is amazing. So when they go for something else like to travel, it needs to beat and exceed what they've already been exposed to. Not meet, beat. I think, you know, you've mentioned some of this before too, but they have different needs also as it relates to quality of experience or specialness of experience. But also like if we go back to something we learned in Psych 101, that Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? You start with like safety, security, shelter, you go up to, I don't know what, like food and love and whatever. And then you kind of go up to things like ego and 
enlightenment. But in the similar kind of path is that when you get to a higher level, especially if you're a high performer, you have a lot of, you know, think about who your client is outside of the way that you serve them. They're probably running businesses. They have estates to manage. They're coordinating a lot of people, things. They're busy. So they're going to value things like time and convenience. They're going to value things like specialness and coordination that they don't have to do. They're going to value things like taking their hands off the wheel and say, you know, Jesus, take the wheel, like plan me a trip. So how can you create that experience for them? They're different than somebody that's going to be looking at budgets or getting the best deal or how can I get there, you know, on a red eye versus how can I get there well rested? Mm -hmm. Say you don't come from a luxury background. I didn't travel as a kid. That just like wasn't in our family ethos, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting because now it's like the biggest budget item in my financial plan for the year. I'm like, and 50%. No. Yeah. If you have not come from a background that you have an affluent network, how do you know what someone of luxury wants? Mm-hmm. Take us back to when you started in the yacht field. Did you personally, I think you actually did have a personal background in like on yachts and things like that, but how did you learn about the market to make you an intellectual reference? Yeah. So the yachting is a great example for me personally, because the way that I was exposed to yachting was my, my father was a marine engineer. So he worked on both. He worked on like merchant machine ships and he worked on crazy barges and stuff. But then also one time he worked on a luxury yacht for a private owner as the engineer. So if anybody's ever seen Below Deck, it's not even the crew. It's like the crew that you don't even show. It's the people that literally like work Colin. in the engine room. <laughs> yeah, like Colin, but like we saw a lot of Colin. Yeah, exactly. Colin. Yeah. Not bad at that either. They have like a first mate and an engineer also on board. They're not even on the cast. I mean, my dad was working in the engine room. So I got to go aboard. The, the gentleman who he worked for, he had invented a certain type of helicopter. And I was like, wow, that's great. And my dad's always been into boats. And we were in Holland visiting family and my dad got us a tour at FedShip when I was like seven years old, which is like the biggest yacht builder in the world. And I've been raised on boats, around boats, but it's not like I've ever like chartered a yacht by myself, Mm -hmm. but I've taken it upon myself to, I'm obsessed with the companies, with the brands, with the experience research. I go to all the yacht shows I can. I talk to people. I'm on yachts as often as possible. If, even if we're sailing in a catamaran in San, San Diego Bay, like I'm on a boat, okay? I know what Silverboard and Port is. I know I, I get boats. And my big thing too is like, not everybody has to be luxury, a luxury service. A lot of people say that they are. You mentioned this, Jennifer. A lot of people think that they want to attract luxury, but you really have to know because you're talking to a sophisticated audience. I mean, even regular consumers these days are so smart. They look at TikTok, look at how they dissect products. Consumers are smart. So you thinking that you've never had a luxury experience or gone to a luxury hotel, but you can sell that experience to somebody because you think it might have a higher price point, that is not the path. So whenever you're selling anything, whenever you're a part of something, you have to be obsessed with it and go indulge yourself in it. And that's why for for us, like real estate development, I've been involved in every step of the process of building a custom home, a condo building, a mid-rise tower, a high-rise tower. Like I know what goes into it so that I can speak to my clients who are doing those things and I can relate to them and speak their language. I think if you want to be you know, a part of this luxury culture, like you have to go experience it, be in it, 
meet the people at the bar, talk to the people at the pool, right? You know, those are the connections that are going to start building your network. But to think that you can sit behind your computer and not experience it or be in it, I don't think that's a good way to represent product. Before Amber and I hit record, we had a hunch that our episode was going to go a little bit long, and we were right. That is exactly why we have divided this episode into two parts. Thank you for listening to part one. If you want to hear part two, stay tuned for next week's episode. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of Teak Talk. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community, where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.